0: There's a silver lining to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been a renewed focus on healthcare equity. Dr. Julie Gerberding is an executive vice president and chief patient officer at Merck. People expect more of us. And I think it's one thing to be able to
1: bring powerful medicines and, and treatments and vaccines to people. It's another thing to um, work hard to make sure that they are equitably available.
0: Hi, I'm Irene Silber. Before Dr. Gerberding joined Merck, she was director of the CDC in the early 2000s. Gerberding was recently featured at a Vanguard Forum for Healthcare and Life Science Leaders. She talked with former public television journalist Ken Stone about how COVID has affected patient
2: access and equity. I was going through your background, and it struck me that uh, you were a medical doctor practicing in San Francisco at a hospital there in the early days of the uh, AIDS crisis. I was just wondering some of the memories that you have of that, and, and how did that then sort of shape your view about patient engagement?
1: I was at San Francisco General Hospital at the very beginning of the AIDS pandemic. And at that time, you know, it was just unfolding. We had no medicines, we had no prospects for medicines or vaccines, and most of our patients died. We had very little we could do for them other than offer them comfort care. So in that context, and particularly since many of our patients were activists, they were my teachers. I really learned the art of medicine by interacting with them and really listening to what they needed and what their broader social determinants of health required would um, contribute to their overall best possible well-being under those circumstances. So I think that became embedded in me as the principle of how the art and science of medicine should be practiced. You listen to the patients. They're often smarter than you are and you think about how you can co-create good solutions. So I
2: think it really has been in my heart ever since that point in time. It, at the time, uh, gays were absolutely the marginalized population. Um, I think we almost forget how much our views have changed over the last 40 years. Uh, but talk a little bit about uh, what is it like to, for, as the medical establishment, to be reaching out and perhaps learning from, People that you haven't paid attention to before?
1: You know, it is um, a a personal maturation process because we all have hidden biases and discomforts that we may not be aware of. I think, in that context, in AIDS, um, the stigma around the gay AIDS was amplified because that disease really brings together a whole set of the things that make people most anxious sexuality, uh, morality mortality, and they were all kind of bundled up into this very complex set of social issues. But you know, if you fast forward to where we are today in COVID, um, the circumstances have changed and our society has evolved in some ways, but we're still dealing with incredible stigma. Think about the violence against Asians that is being experienced in many parts of the world, including in the US. Um, think about the fear of contamination, the reluctance that people have to be in places where someone may not be vaccinated or may not be properly protected. So we really have not fully evolved a we're all in this boat together mentality. And I wish we had more of that because the polarization is certainly making it difficult for us to contain the pandemic, but also to feel like we're doing the best we can for serving
2: the needs of the people who are in the disenfranchised groups. Your term CDC uh, was in the early 2000s. It was certainly polarized then. But when you look at how it is today, way worse? Or is it basically what you were dealing with uh, back uh, in the days of SARS, for instance, and anthrax?
1: But, you know, we certainly live in a very diverse society and there are parties and polarization and politics at all times. I really can't believe that it's been this conspicuous, at least in my lifetime. And I think this polarization has paralyzed our ability to remember that we have a collective responsibility. I may be safe from covid But I also have a responsibility to make sure that I'm not putting someone else at risk should I have a breakthrough infection, et cetera. And that collective we is really been sprung apart. And all we have to do is look at the data on where the disease is spreading and who's affected to understand how polarized we
2: really are. I got one more biographical question. Uh, You were a practicing doctor and then you went back for your master's in public health. Why'd you do that? You
1: know, when I was a, a, a resident, I recognized that I was probably not going to find the cure for AIDS, but I wanted to do something meaningful. And because my cohort of young doctors were all very frightened, and some people were almost paralyzed by the fear of acquiring occupational HIV infection through a needle stick or a blood exposure, I set about um, trying to study that risk. And obviously that involves epidemiologic investigation. And at the time I had no special expertise in epidemiology or biostatistics. So as my research in that area began to, in a sense, explode because I was well-funded, built a lab, uh, had a center of excellence in occupational nosocomial infections. I knew that I needed a didactic framework to really be able to good, good science. Um, and, you know, it really did change my life because it put medicine in an in a intellectual paradigm of the social determinants of health. At my experience up to that point had been focused on the bedside. But what I learned at UC Berkeley was how much of health happens in the community, at home, in schools, in, in, in our social context. And has very little to do with the actual disease
2: care that we receive. I know one of the things that you are concerned about is uh, uh, patient advocacy and patient care and how it's been affected by COVID-19. Talk a little bit about that.
1: You know, there's two dimensions of that. First of all, broadly speaking, we have taken a giant step backwards in people's ability to benefit from ordinary care. Uh, Globally, some 20 million children did not get their measles shot last year. So we can reliably predict that we will be seeing measles outbreaks on a global basis. But even in developed environments, people have not been getting their cancer screenings. They're not getting their other immunizations as they should be. They are not getting their prescriptions filled. Uh, You can do a lot with telehealth, but you can't get a colonoscopy or a mammogram on telehealth. And so we're going to have a backlog of poorly managed chronic conditions and lack of detection and intervention for emerging medical problems that will catch up to us. And in fact, we're already seeing that the data indicate we have excess risk from cardiovascular disease, excess morbidity and mortality from poorly controlled diabetes, et cetera. So there's a big ripple effect from the pandemic that extends way beyond COVID or its aftermath. We also work a lot with the very important patient advocacy organizations that are often a lifeline for people who are suffering from things like cancer or serious diseases. And the organizations that do this kind of work can't maintain their funding stream because they can't participate in their fundraising activities, their marathons, their galas, the kinds of Mm -hmm. things that we try to support so that we can make sure that these really important frontline organizations have the resources they need to provide the surround sound of services, as well as the awareness and support um, for getting people into care and helping them participate in clinical trials, et cetera. So as our patient advocacy organizations have come on uh, under stress, that just adds to the problem of patient access and awareness.
2: Julie, you're a chief patient officer for Merck. Uh, So what can a leader do to actually help create a better environment for patient engagement? As a leader, what can they do to make that a primary goal? Uh, We
1: we can do a lot, and I'm, I'm lucky to have been able to build on the effort that Dr. Mike Rosenblatt started when he was the chief medical officer at Merck. Uh, we really have a center of excellence. Our, our aspiration is that patients at center will permeate everything we do within the company, because after all, that is our mission. And for most of us, our purpose, our personal mission. But um, I, I think there are four main buckets that we try to focus on. One is really listening to patients and really trying to learn their insights and their perspectives on what they need. And that applies to everything from target product profile before we've even entered clinical development to the design and conduct of clinical trials to how we package and inform patients um, about their medicines once they're in the market. We also emphasize as a second layer of this, um, the patient experience. Like what's it like to need something from Merck, find a piece of information, get help, find a clinical trial. How can we really make it easier for patients to understand their situation and get help that they need from us or whoever they need help from? The third layer really is advocacy. Um, If you step back and think about it, there's a great deal of alignment between the biopharmaceutical space and what patients and their advocates and caretakers want. And that leads me to really the fourth and obvious dimension of all of this, which is affordable access and uptake of medicines and vaccines where they're needed, and especially in the disenfranchised populations of people who need them most. So those four areas really frame what my team is concentrating on. Uh, but I think it also reflects pretty much what we are working toward across the industry. And of course, the new FDA emphasis on patient-focused drug development has opened up some incredible opportunities to take this to the next level. Uh, We still have a lot to learn, and we are needing to continue to listen and work collaboratively with our patients and their caretakers. But I'm really impressed that even in a relatively short period of time, we've made a lot of progress. Today, we can have conversations about eliminating cervical cancer. So, you know, that to me is the sort of underpinning of the entire biopharmaceutical space. But I also agree in the context of ESG, um, people expect more of us. And I think it's one thing to be able to bring powerful medicines and, and treatments and vaccines to people. It's another thing to um, work hard to make sure that they are equitably available. And in my world, the S in the ESG is really primarily focused on health equity and health impact. So we're looking, um, one of our signature in, uh, initiatives is, of course, Merck for Mothers, which is a 500 plus million dollar engagement over a long arc of time to try to uh, eliminate preventable maternal deaths. But that leads into a whole set of other issues in the ESG continuum because that involves inclusion, the diversity of the people that are doing the work, the diversity of the people who are supplying the materials and the supply chains that are necessary to accomplish these kinds of activities. And certainly a sensibility about environmental sustainability and how what we're doing really does impact our communities and the planet. I I think it's kind of an exploratory process, but really beginning to understand the relationship between the E, S, and G really creates a lot more innovation on the edge of those dimensions. And when you can find a place where you're bringing them all together, it's really exciting. And I think a a really important part of the value we can create for our business, but also for the societies in which we work.
0: That was Dr. Julie Gerberding, former head of the CDC and currently the chief patient officer at Merck, speaking with Ken Stone. Real leadership podcasts are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silver. Thanks for listening.